Bibles tonight to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to start preaching through the epistle of 1 John. We didn't re do our reading, Brother Danny, did we? Well, I guess it'd be a good time to do it. We're going to do our five times reading tonight. So I guess let's just stand together. We're going to read uh, the first <clears throat> five verses five times. You'll read this in the morning five times, in the evening five times out loud. And do that seven days and ask the Lord to write it on your heart. And so we're going to begin right now. Here we go. Number one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Number two, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and which manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Number three, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which you have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and which was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Number four, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, that the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. How many times is that? Four. We've done it four times? Yes. So the fifth time you close your eyes. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little secret. Do that as you're doing this. 
get to about your fourth time, third time, and just try shutting your eyes after you've done this two or three days, you'd be surprised what you'll be able to see. You'll, your eyes will, you, I, I'm not saying that it works that way for everybody. It, I, it's hard for me to memorize, but I can tell you it's very beneficial. Number five, let's begin. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Lord, help us to preach tonight in a way to glorify the Lord in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. I have an announcement to make next Sunday morning at 945. We will not be having church in here. We're going to have breakfast down the gym at 945 and church service at about 1030, 1045 out in the tabernacle next Sunday. Say hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We're going to have breakfast for everybody at 945. So don't eat breakfast. Don't eat your cereal. <clears throat> we'll have breakfast. And, uh, and the, uh, the girls are going to need help. Help Pam and Glenda if you want to help on that in any way that you can. Need help setting up tables and all that. And then next Sunday evening, we're going to have just an evening in the fellowship. You bring your chips and your hot dogs and whatever you want to in your lawn chairs. We're going to do what we did out here by the tabernacle. We're just going to have a good evening of visiting, fellowshipping. Some of you want to sing and so forth like that. Have prayer together. You help yourself. But we're going to have an evening of fellowship. It's turned fall. We're going to use that tabernacle. Amen. And I was out in the mountains coming out the other day. It was 101 degrees. It was hot out there. I had to come to the Ozarks and get it cooled off. Amen. <laughs> And so anyway, I'm going to enjoy this fall, autumn weather. So that's next Sunday morning. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it on Facebook. I want to put it on social media. I want you to tell your neighbors, come beat breakfast with me, 945 next Sunday morning. And you get people to come with you. And then we're going to have services at 1045. And uh, let's have a good time in the Lord. All right, let's get into the first epistle, John. Let me say two or three things, but I want to write this down. <clears throat> One, this book of 1 John has the subject of love in it probably more so than any other book in the Bible except the book of Gospel of John, both written by the same man. For God so loved the world and on and on he talks about love. He gets to 1 John, he just dives into the love of God and what it means. Now to get this carefully, when you're reading this book of 1 John, he's an, he's an old man. He's a third generation. He's in a third basic, almost like a third generation time. But he was with Jesus Christ as a disciple. He assumes some things that you already know by the time you get here in the Bible. And one of them is that you have read 1 Corinthians 13 and that you have a correct biblical understanding of what love is. You see, the world will try to redefine and recarve out what love is. That's what they do all the time. You have to have, in order to get this book, a biblical understanding of what charity love is. If you don't, if you don't I'm telling you, you have a hard time. So you go back and let the Bible interpret itself to 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long and is kind, endureth all things and all that. And you go back and you keep that in mind that the definition, God's definition of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. And so when John's talking about love, keep that definition in mind. It's not your emotions. It's not how you're feeling. It's literally what God says. And he said, though I give my goods to feed the poor, 
and my body to be burned and have not charity? Nothing. Though I understand prophecies and mysteries and all that kind of have faith, I can move mountains and have not charity. I'm nothing. You better get that when you dive into this because John is assuming, the Lord is assuming you've read that and you're coming into this chapter on love and you've got the understanding of the biblical definition of love. The second thing is this. He's also assuming, you know, this book is to Christians. This book is to my little children. This book is to fathers and it talks about young men, little children. It's talking about Christian, to Christian people in various stages of their Christian growth. This is so important. Let me tell you something right now. You walk in here on Sunday morning, there are people who haven't been saved as long as you have. There's been people saved longer than you have. There are people who grew faster than you grew or grew slower than you grew. And you need to take that in consideration. And that's what he's doing in this book. He's talking to people on different levels of their Christian growth in the Lord. And he's trying to get them to move on and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is assuming that you have already been to John chapter 3 where it said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. John chapter 3. You must be born again. He's assuming that you understand that salvation is a new birth. It's not trying to live better and live nicer. He's assuming you understand that it's the work of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit births a new man within you, born of the Spirit of God, and that you understand there are two natures in a Christian, the old man and the new man. And if you don't get that, this book will not, this book will blow you out of the water. It could possibly cause you to quit church if you meditate on this and do not keep that in mind because you cannot live up to what he's going to tell you here to do. And if you don't, in fact, it, this, this book liberated me as a young preacher at about a, about a year into the ministry, maybe a year and a half into ministry. And if it hadn't liberated me, it would have blown me out of the ministry because I was just honest enough with myself to say, I can't figure this out. I, 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 I guess I just can't do it. So we're going to hit some tough stuff, but he's assuming those two things. Number one, that you understand a biblical definition of love, not a humanistic definition. Number two, that you understand the flesh versus the spirit, that there's a new man and an old man, and that you're dealing with this. Now tonight, we're going to go through chapter one, and we're going to look about what happens and what do you do with sin as a Christian. It's one of the most important things you'll ever address of yourself as a saved person. What happens when I sin? And so we're going to be looking at uh, uh, some issues. There, there are some words. You might want to write these down. The word fellowship is prominent in this book. You just got through reading it several times. The word love, the word light, the word life is in here. And uh, there's an emphasis on joy and what robs us of our joy and so forth. So we're going to take off here. Now, remember that John was an apostle. Number one, he said that which was in the beginning, which we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon our hands of handle of the word of life. John is addressing a problem that had occurred at this time in the early church, and it was this, the deity of Jesus Christ. It's still a problem. Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in it. Muslims do, do not believe in it. Uh, Mormons do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And they came up, and I'm not even going to take you into all the different jimmy-jammy beliefs that were popping up about this time. The most stupidest stuff you've ever heard in your life. Either they didn't believe, they believed he was some kind of a man whom uh, God did something with, and that's kind of like the Muslims, or he was, he was, uh, he was a deity, but he wasn't really a man because he could, he had this power. And there were all these mixed up things. Let me just tell you something, what the Bible teaches. In John chapter one and verse 14, the Bible says, we beheld him, uh, his glory as the glory of the only begotten son of the father. 
Father. He, John teaches he, in the word, in the beginning, in John Gospel 1, chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Look at this. He, that which was from the beginning. He's still carrying these same things. Now, here's what he's telling you. I want to assure you that Jesus Christ is God and he's, he's man. He's incarnate. It's God in the flesh, just like he said he was. And don't get led off in these ditches of that he's only man or he's only God. He is the God man. Now I'm going to take you how, how God does it. You go back into the Old Testament. Let's finish reading this introduction about the incarnation. That was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. John said, I've touched this man. I've been with him. I've heard, I've seen, I know what I'm talking about here. I'm not a secondhand guy. And he said, he's handled of the word of life. And what he's going to do is teach you a, a, one of the greatest principles. And I want this pumped into us. I want it pumped into my heart. Christianity is life. Salvation is life. We're not dead religion. We're not a bunch of rules. We're not a bunch of junk it's ritualism. It's life. Amen. Amen. It's life. It's living water. It's not dead religion. It's something I can go out of here with and live every arena of my life with. He's trying to tell us that God gives life. And he goes there, the word of life. For the life, in verse 2, was manifest. It was shown to us. It was revealed to us. We've seen it and bear witness and show you that eternal life. It is a special kind of life. It is eternal life. And Jesus Christ is that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us now. What he's doing is establishing the fact there that Jesus Christ is the God-man. He's, he's assuming you've read his gospel, all right? The Word is made flesh. The Word... God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is even the only begotten the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He's assuming he's coming off of that biblical truth. And he's saying, listen, nothing has changed. He's still God. He's still man. He, I touched him. I handled him. I heard him. I saw him. He's the one who was asleep on the boat, man. But he's the one who stilled the waters, God. He's the one who sat on the well weary. But he's the one who uh, uh, knew the history of that woman. He's God. And over and over again, you go through the Gospels and you'll see him one second. You see his God, his Godness. And the next second, you see his humanity. Well, you go back into the tabernacle. And what you see in the tabernacle, there was a veil in that tabernacle. And that veil was red and it was blue and it was purple. Watch this. Red, the, the, the name Adam means red. It means red. It means red dirt. Okay? That's, that's the name, what the name Adam means. Christ is the second Adam. The last Adam, okay? Red. The red in the veil speaks of his humanity. There was blue in the veil. That's the, the, the color for heaven. That speaks of his deity. Watch this. The red, his humanity. The blue, his deity. And the third color was purple. Purple comes from the mixing, uh, from the uniting of the red and the blue. What was God telling them when they walked in and the veil was there? That this God is incarnate. It is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would be God in the flesh. What did he do with the ark? The ark was a place of, where God said it was the mercy seat. It was made out of a Achaia wood. Wood speaks of his humanity. But it was covered with gold, which speaks of his deity. Everywhere you move in that tabernacle, God is teaching you the incarnation of God in the flesh. That is a reality. It is real. It is not a joke. But it takes faith to believe it. I don't understand it. I can't explain to you. But God became man. And by the way, the next thing that's going to happen, he's going to show it. But because of this, because God 
came in the flesh and lived a sinless life and died for you and I, we could have a relationship with him. So that gets established. Now he's saying, all right, he said, you should know all this. Now I'm going to deal with something. I'm going to deal with fellowship. And you read those passages of scriptures and we say what all of our, all of our problem is we have in our little religious, what's that big fancy word, endosyncrasies or something like that? Idios, boy, isn't that a word? Idiosyncrasy. Now don't I sound some learned? Yeah. <clears throat> what that means is what? What's that mean? Quirks, little, you have these little quirks in your Christian life. I mean, you come to church and you're like, man, life, what's going on? That's stupid. Church is stupid. Church is stupid. People are stupid. Church, church is stupid. Amen. Man, people act like this and people act like that and people do this and people do that. Right? Okay. <clears throat> Let me tell you what most of that is. Most of it's being out of fellowship with God and out of fellowship with each other. All these idiosyncrasies that you see popping up everywhere, most of it comes from being out of fellowship with God and being out of fellowship with one another. When you get out of fellowship with God, it's going to affect your fellowship with your brother in Christ. Amen. Right. So now he says, I'm assuming that you understand all these things that I've written about before and God's written about. And now we're going to come in as a Christian, as a child. He's not writing to lost people here. He's writing to Christians and he's saying this. God saved you to have fellowship with him. I'm going to tell you, my biggest problem and your biggest problem is not other people. It's right here. And me walking in darkness, and because of that, I can't have fellowship with God. Let's look at your Bible again. I just love this book. It is so real. I mean, it gets down where the rubber meets the road. I mean, it all does, but boy, this here, I just, there's something special about it. Look at, look at verse number three there. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. This is what, God, did you know when you wake up tomorrow morning that God wants you to have fellowship with him? Amen. He wants you to wake up and say, with a clean heart, clean mind, clean, I mean, clean, just clean, amen. And say, good morning, Lord. And you're not putting on the dog. Lord, I thank you for the night of rest. And you just, it's just a sweet fellowship with God. Everything's wide open. I want you to look at this. He said, fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father. Can you imagine that? The God who made this universe, the God of glory, the God who knows how many stars are in the sky, the God, knows who's how many, the God who knows how many grains of sand are in the sea, the God who is infinitely holy, the God who is eternal, wants to have fellowship with you and I. That's the truth. Oh, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. Now, tomorrow morning, what I, my goal in preaching this is for you to wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Boy, it's a good day, amen. amen. And the world may be going to pot, but everything's good between me and you, amen. amen. That's what God wants. He wants to have fellowship with you. He doesn't want you. You see, when you and your wife get up and if you don't have fellowship with your wife and you wake up and you meet in the hallway, good morning. God don't want that. He wants you to wake up and say, good morning, honey. <clears throat> I know, Lord, I'm preaching above my water, higher, my, higher water. <laughs> but I'm telling you, isn't, isn't marital fellowship good? Isn't it nice when you can really, honestly, everything's open, everything's okay, no bugs in the rug, no little endo, what do you call that, endosyncrasies popping up everywhere? And you're wondering what she's thinking and she's wondering what you're thinking and you're both guessing you're wrong. <laughs> Amen. You're both guessing wrong. <laughs> And so he says, truly our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. 
He wants you to have fellowship. Can you imagine? How many likes fellowship? I like fellowship. Fellowship needs, but fellowship has to be based on something. See, God says he saves you. He, you're a sinner. He'd send his son to die for you. Unqualified, unconditional. But now you're his son. Now you're in the family. And God says in this family, things are going to be pure and right or they, ain't going to be, they won't be right. Okay? We're not putting on the dog here. We're not living in the same house with clouds and bugs and rugs and everything day after day. I'm going to get something here, priest, and I'll tell you if it'll be a blessing to you. He said, fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Now watch this here, verse number four. Why did he write this? And these things write we unto you. Tell me why. Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't want full joy. I just want half, half a pint. Now you listen to this. God said the secret to having full joy is what? Fellowship. Everything's good with God. That doesn't mean you don't have sorrows, but it's good between you and God. You can be having all kinds of stuff going wrong in your life. They can tell you you've got cancer. They can tell you that uh, uh, they're going to repossess your old truck. I don't know what they're going to do, but you can have good between you and God. And he wants you to have that fellowship. God wants your joy to be full. I'm telling you, I've, I've started reading this when I was on vacation. I started reading the book of John, first John over and over again. Five chapters, five chapters, five chapters. And just like the Lord just started speaking to me, Reggie, don't you understand? I don't want you and I at a distance. You're my son. I don't want you and I having stuff between us. And you know what? It's never God's fault. It's never God's fault. He said, these things right when to you that your joy may be full. So how's our joy going to be full? We're having Bible class. How are you going to have full joy? By having fellowship with the Father and with the Son. How do you maintain fellowship? Now watch this. <clears throat> I can have fellowship with Jen or Bob or Mary or Steve or something like that. But I don't, I have, but I have a relationship in Christ before I have that fellowship. You see, you know this. You can have fellowship with somebody you hardly know. I met some people, an older couple out in Montana, inadvertently at an old store up there. And he just reached his hand across the door and said, my name's Tom, what's your name? And we started talking, found out some of the sweetest Christian people I ever met in my life. They text me the next day on the way home. What, what did we have in common? The second we found out we were both Christians, we had fellowship. And see, God wants that. To, and I'm going to tell you, my life was enriched by meeting those people and by having that fellowship with those people. I'm telling you, they talked serious to me about what's going on out there spiritually in that part of the country. And I'm telling you, you know, it just helps you to understand people and what they're going through and so forth like that. But God says, I want your joy to be full. You know what I really believe? That we get content with just having about a half pint of joy, maybe. The Bible said there's fullness of joy at his right hand. Psalm 1611. And I'm just honest with you. I, I may never get where I want to be, but I'm going to be honest with you. I read this and I say, that's what I want. I want fullness of joy. That doesn't mean I go around clicking my heels all the time and jumping up and down. I may, be, I may be weeping, but I still have joy. I still have joy in my heart. And joy will come because my fellowship with God is right. So now he's going to deal with something. Verse 5. This is the message which we have declared unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What causes you and I not to have fellowship with God? Walking in darkness. He is light and there is no darkness at all in him. And that, you know what that means? 
when I walk off into darkness, he is not in on it. And my, he's still my heavenly father. I'm his son. But I'm going to lose fellowship. And when I lo- watch this, when I lose my fellowship, I start losing my joy. Joy is based upon fellowship, and fellowship is based upon walking in the light and truth. Let's continue reading. <clears throat> this then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. Nothing shady about God. God's not into lying. God's not into cheating. God's not into lust. God's not into rebellion. God's not into envy. He's not into gossip. All of that stuff is darkness. And when we get into that, all of a sudden we're going to find out, we're going to look and say, it's not like it was with God. And we're all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's just going to that grieving because that fellowship is lost. Well, this is what he says there. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship. Fellowship one with another. And look what happens automatically when you're walking in the light. Yeah. The blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses small sin. Yep. Now, here's something wild. And some of you may not believe this, and I don't care. Oh, I do care, but I'm, it's not going to change the truth. The Bible teaches that if you walk in the light with God, okay, that even though you may sin, his blood is cleansing, is cleansing that sin as you're walking in the light. Okay? That's what it says. I'm going to believe what it says. Now, it's going to move from that if you don't walk in the light. Okay, now watch this. He said, he said, and the blood of Jesus Christ says, now, there's two things here I want us to get, first of all. I personally believe that this is a dual fellowship situation. That if I'm walking in the light and I have fellowship with God, it's going to enable me to have fellowship with other Christians better. Okay? Because I'm walking in the light and have fellowship with God. If, I don't, if I've gotten myself in a situation where my fellowship with God's not good, it's going to affect my fellowship with other Christian people. Just, here's what I want to get to on this. It's caused me to start being fako. Act like everything's okay and it's really not. You start putting on the false stuff. Because you know you're supposed to be happy. You know you're supposed to you know, be nice and but it ain't right. And it's not fellowship. So all of a sudden now I'm in this false, deceitful world. Well, so now I want to get this principle. There's a principle. If I'm walking in the light, as he is in the light, I have fellowship with him. The same principle works with your interaction among each other. You have a child that gets in rebellion. Disobedient. I don't care whether little or big. And they're in disobedience. It is going to affect your fellowship and you know it. And you fight and struggle with two things. You still love them. They're still your child. But how am I going to deal with this? I can't just act like this is fine. And so what happens is it affects your fellowship with that loved one, that relation. You have two men in church. Watch this. If you've got one man who's walking in the light and another man who's walking in darkness, it's going to affect the fellowship between those two men. 
if, if, if a man, we had this deal this morning with Lonnie and, 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 and uh, Don. What was going on up there was walking in darkness was you find out somebody said this or did whatever, it starts affecting fellowship. You're not as open to them as you were. You're not as friendly to them as you were. You don't feel as welcome to their heart as you may have before. Because somebody, let me just tell you something. When you have trouble with people, somebody's walking in darkness. Somebody's, I don't, maybe both, maybe one, maybe the other. But somebody's walking in darkness when you cannot have fellowship with people. It's truth. Amen. Just well, just well get, it, get it there now. So it's on two, this fellowship is on two levels. It's on a level ship with our father and it's a level, level with our brother. Now, he's established this principle of fellowship. What can break it? What allows it to continue? But he realizes something. There's an old man, the new man. And he, and he teaches something right here. Let's look at it. Verse number eight. If we say, who's we there? He's talking about himself, including other Christian people. John, the apostle. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I want to tell you something right now. Any denomination or any religious, Christian religion that tells you that you don't sin as a Christian are lying to you. They're lying to you. You will never be sanctified holy and stop sinning in this life. It will never happen to you. You check the saints of God in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, the older they got, the worse they got. Just a pattern. And you will too, without the grace of God. I'm going to get this down. You're saved does not mean you will not sin. Please understand that. There are a lot of lost people out here who have been told that if they get saved, they'll have to, quote, live it in such a way. And if you listen to this girl that I think we mentioned about on the, that deal, see, her deal was she, she knew she sinned. And she knew according to the church rules and stuff, the church doctrine, she wouldn't, she, there's no way she could go to heaven. Because if you died with one sin, and like I said, if you know to do good and do it not, to him it's sin. He's saying here, if we say we have no sin, we do what? Deceive ourselves. One of the worst things you can ever do is start saying that things that you do are, are not sin, that are sin. You're lying to yourself. And we're going to look at a man in the Bible who at one time loved God and walked with God and walked in the light, and had wonderful fellowship with God and who sinned. And we're going to find out this biblical principle is just laid out so wonderfully. We're going to look at it a little bit in Scripture. But I just want to get something down here. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you've been saved a long time and you struggle. What happens as a Christian when I sin? What happens? Well, I can tell you what happens. If you don't confess it, you're going, to have, you're going to lose fellowship with God. And following that, you're going to get chastised as a son. Guarantee you. You will not be without chastisement. What God wants for you to do is walk in the light. And you walk off in the darkness, God's saying, get back over here in the light. Get out of there. Stay away from that. You're tempted to get into pornography. You're tempted to get to lie about a situation. God said, pull back. Get out of that darkness. Walk in the light. He said, if you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ is unclean from all sin. And he said, if we say we have no sin, he said, now don't get to saying that you don't sin because you do. You don't know a preacher that doesn't sin. How many believe Billy Graham sin? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to believe the Pope sins. <laughs> okay. He's not even saved. 
But you don't know a Christian and you don't walk in this church with anybody who doesn't sin. And that's why one reason about reading the Bible, the re- as you read the Bible, the Bible makes you see yourself. It's a mirror. It makes you see yourself better all the time. And you'll all of a sudden, if you read your Bible a lot and you're really asking God to help you see yourself, because the more you see yourself, the more you see his glory and the more you see his wonder that he saved you and that he loves you. I mean, I'm honest with you. It's a purifying effect. Well, let's go in here a little bit. It says that you deceive yourself and the truth's not in us. Now watch verse number nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. In other words, he's not going to violate his own law. He's not going to violate his own holiness. He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And truth not in us. Here's what I think the biggest problem that most Christians are today. They don't know how to deal with sin as a Christian. Or they really have trouble about it. God says, when you sin, confess it. Most of the time, we want to justify it. Hide it, justify it, blame it, or rationalize it. I'm just human. Yeah, you're human. But that ain't how God said to deal with your sin. And all of these things, justifying, rationalizing, blaming people, you know, all this stuff, just piddling with it, only makes it worse. It does not cleanse your sin. You're still saved. Okay? You're still a son of God. But you're in sin. And you're not dealing with it like God said. It's so simple. It ain't even funny. He said, confess it. I want to say this to you. Even false religions know the power of this. Do you know how the Catholic Church holds its power over people? Through the confessional. They know that there is a built-in need to clear the conscience somehow or another to somebody. That's why Christian counseling has become so powerful in Christendom in America because they'll walk in there and they'll either tell the pastor Stuff they should be telling God. Amen. Or they'll tell some shrink or some Christian counselor or some, they'll tell them all their dirty water when they should have just went in the prayer closet and said, dear God, I have sinned against you and name it. Now, confession is naming it. You get charged with a crime. One of the things the judge is going to watch out for real fast is how your attitude is about your charge. And especially if he sees that the evidence is pretty clear you did it. And if you have an attitude of, I didn't do it, or if you have an attitude of, I don't care if I did it, I'm going to try to get out of this thing. You know what every judge wants the guilty party to do? Confess it. How, watch this. How do you plead? How do you plead? You know what that's the Holy Ghost going to do to you and I? How, when he charges you and he said that was wrong, how do you plead? Well, if you start folding your hands and saying, well, you know this and you're no, ain't nobody perfect. And you know, the way I was raised, and if you just knew my dad, if you just knew my mom, you knew what kind of home I was raised in. If you knew what I had to put up when I was growing up, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't get your sin cleansed. And God says there's one way you get your sin cleansed as a Christian, and that's confess it. Isn't it strange that that's the last thing we want to do? 
There was a man by the name of David in the Bible. And he was something else. He was a shepherd boy. Played a harp. Kept sheep. He learned great principles. And that shepherd life never left his, his whole life. And he was such a, the Bible talks about him, describes him. And he was so able to be used of God that God used him to slay Goliath. And he had such faith in God. He said, who is this uncircumcised listing to, you know, to blaspheme our God of Israel? And, and he, he basically, I mean, here's the king and the whole army. This little boy's got the faith in God that he's the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Moses. And he, God uses him. And God elevates him and he's hunted, he goes through all this stuff. And years later, after he has been exalted by God, he commits a terrible sin. He lusts after a woman and takes her and has a, 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 a immoral thing with her. And then he has her husband killed. But here it was as, as bad as that was. You know what his real trouble was? He wouldn't confess it. Do you know why he lost four kids? Listen to me. Do you know why he lost four kids? He wouldn't confess it. If da- Did you know the Bible, if you watch the timeline, at least a year, David never said boo to God. He was out of fellowship with God. And God kept waiting for David to confess. And God kept waiting for David to confess. And David wouldn't confess. So finally, God sent Nathan, the prophet, to him. And then he finally confessed. And I want you to take your Bibles and put this up on the board. Psalms 32. I want to show you there's three chapters in the Bible of David's confession. And I want to show you this New Testament principle in the Old Testament, how God does it. Psalms 32. I'm serious. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to tell you something. Now, I'm not preaching to you folks. I'm preaching to Reg Kelly. Because I'm going to tell you something. I want fellowship with my father. I want fellowship with my savior. I want full joy. I don't want to walk in darkness, and I don't want the consequences of it. And I'll wake up tomorrow morning, clear conscience with God, and, and enjoy my life. Amen. Psalms 32, <clears throat> here it is. Now, as I said, there's three psalms particularly that I know of where David is confessing his sin to God. And in reading these three psalms, I'll give them to you. They're, 38, they're 32, 38, and 51, if you want to write that down. Psalms 32, 38, and 51. And I think it would do every Christian well to read this and understand the depth of this man's confession. He, I think this is why in the New Testament it calls him a man after God's own heart. I really do. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. He's not playing games with God. When I kept silence, what's he doing? When I wasn't confessing, when I wouldn't admit it, when I wouldn't get right about it, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old. Did you know in the New Testament, when you take communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it tells you to what do what? Examine yourself, right? And it says if you don't, you're drinking unworthily, and what will happen to you? Sickness, uh, there's three things. Somebody help me. Sickness. See, some, some are weak. Okay, first one was weak and sick and death. Some are weak, some are sick, and some are die. Those are the three th- results that can happen to you when you will not confess your sin before taking communion. Did you know what happened? The very same thing with David. He said, my bones waxed old. 
when I kept silence, when I wouldn't confess my sin, my body aged. Now I'm going to just confess something to you tonight. I've experienced this. I went through times in my life when I was, I just, I wasn't right with God and I wasn't willing to get right with God. And it affected my health. It's a fact. God's word doesn't lie to anybody about anything. He said, uh, when I kept silence, verse three, my bones waxed old through my roaring all day long. What's that roaring? Conscience. Spirit troubled. Verse four, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah, your life becomes dry. Look at verse five. Now here it comes, the confession. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, not to a priest, not to a pastor, not to a counselor. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, what? I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou did what? Forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Think about that, Selah. You know, tonight is so simple. You may be here tonight and there's some sin in your life and it may have been going on six days. It might have been going on six years. And you just kept justifying and not and, and confess it just means literally to come to God and name it what it is. And Lord, I have sinned. When the prodigal son came home, which is a picture, what did he say? I have sinned. He confessed. It's just strange to me that across America, Christianity Day, confession is about the last thing you'll ever hear. We even want God's forgiveness, but we won't confess. We'll say, God, forgive me, but we really don't want to confess. I'm just being honest with you. You walk up to the judge and you say, judge, forgive me. You know what that judge wants to forgive you for what? Because if he forgives him and he doesn't state the cause, that's an unjust situation. You don't punish people sitting in jail for nothing. You've got to say what it's for. If you want forgiveness, you've got to say what it's for. And why does God want that? He knows it's good for you to get it out of your heart, get it out of your soul, get it out of your mind, and just be honest with God. God knows that. And the old timers used to have this saying, confession is good for the soul. That's a biblical principle. It brings healing and openness and joy and healing between the fellowship between you and God again. Well, he said there in verse six, for this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee, listen to it, in a time when thou mayest be found. Whoa. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. You know what? Can you see what's happened here? He's been restored in fellowship. Now God's guiding him. Now God's blessing again. Now he's walking with God again. God's hearing his prayers again. He's in fellowship with God. Y'all about sleep on me? Verse six, be not as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held a bit in the bridle, lest they come near unto thee. He said, don't be like a horse that has to have a bridle. Don't make God have to jerk the bit on you. Verse number 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy, there it is, shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. What did it say in 1 John chapter 1? That your joy may be full. All right, let's go to chapter, 30, chapter 38, Psalm 38. 
Boy, I'm telling you, man, and I'm just telling you, if you, if you want it, if you, if you, want, to, you want to have a good week, get a hold of this message. It's chapter 38, everybody there, say amen. amen. Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Watch this. Thine arrows stick fast in me, and thine hand presseth me sore. It's like God said, I shot him with an arrow. I'm going to, everywhere he goes, there's going to be a little prick. There's going to be a little something there. Remind him. You haven't dealt with your sin. You're walking in darkness. You haven't dealt with your sin. You haven't confessed your sin. You're still trying to justify it. still trying to rationalize it. He said, thy hand presseth me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. It was affecting his sleep. It was affecting his ability to recoup and re-energize through rest. Verse number four. "For For mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day. And this is a pretty sad statement in verse number seven. My loins are filled with loathsome disease and there's no soundness in my flesh. There's some, some people think that that was a result of his immorality, that he had venereal disease. He literally says in my loins, had disease. He messed around too much, folks. I mean, that's what the Bible says. He said, that's, my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there's no soundness in my flesh. Now, you know, I, I'm not going to, that's a doubtful disputation. We'll talk about that in Sunday school next week. But I'm telling you, it sure don't sound good to me. Amen. Verse number eight, I'm feeble, sore broken. I've roared by reason to disquiet my heart. Lord, all my desires before thee is, and my groanings is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me as for the light of mine eyes. It's also gone from me. This is what, uh, 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 when you don't confess your sin and get back in fellowship, all these things begin to come out. It affects your body. It affects your sleep. It affects your health. It affects the light. It affects your joy. Everything. It just takes it, sweeps it out of you. Can I tell you this? Un- unconfessed sin is worse in a child of God on your body than a unsaved man sin is. Why? Because God's going to deal with you as his son. Verse number 11, my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sword. My kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me. And they that seek my hurt speak mischief, mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. And thus I was as a man that heareth not and whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou will hear, O Lord, my God. For, he, for I said, hear me, lest otherwise thou should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. And look at verse number 17. For I am ready to halt. David said, it's it. I'm done. Right here, right now, it quits. I was on, the, I was on Chief Joseph uh, Highway this week coming down through Wyoming. If you've never been through the Chief Nez, Nez Pierce, Chief uh, Joseph Highway uh, Trail, this is one of the most beautiful drives in the world as far as I'm concerned. It was on that trail where Chief Joseph was caught up by the American Calvary and he was trying to get his people into Canada to escape being put on a reservation. And when they caught up with him and he confronted the Calvary, he raised his hand up and said, from where the sun stands now, I will fight no more forever. He was saying in a sense about what David said. David said, I'm ready to halt. I'm tired, of, I'm tired of running from God. I'm tired of fighting God about this. I'm tired of wrestling with God about this. I'm tired of the fight, the wearing down, the, what it's doing to me. I'm just, Lord, I'm done. And I'm ready to confess my sin. 
I'm halting tonight. I, I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm, done, I'm done fighting you on this. If you say it's sin, it's sin. And that's the attitude that God wants us to come to. And he said, I'm ready to halt. And my sorrow is continued before me. Look what he says in verse 18. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will declare my, what's he doing? Confessing. I will be sorry for my sin. This is what God is asking you and I to do in 1 John chapter 1. Confess our sins. And then what he'll do, he'll be just and faithful. He'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Just for time's sake, flip over to chapter 51. And this is the big one. Chapter 51. But I want you to think about this. God put three chapters in the book of Psalms on this one man's issue dealing with confession of sin. This is the most important message you save people are going to hear all year long, to be honest with you. It's going to determine your joy, your fellowship, what you do with this message. It's going to determine so much about your life. It's going to determine what you missed out on that you never knew you might miss. That's the tragedy of it all. And all God's, isn't God good? All he's asking you to do is come before him with an honest, sorrowful heart saying, Lord, I've sinned against you and I did this. The charges are against me are true. And Lord, I'm confessing it. You know what he said he'd do? Now watch this. He didn't say some of the time I'd forgive you. He said he'd be faithful. You know what that means? Every time you confess, you say, what about when Jesus talked about the man who, about forgiving? He said if he turns in seven times in a day, he says, I, I, I'm sorry. He said, forgive him. You know what that means? Every time you confess, God will forgive you. Every time you confess, God will forgive you. And by the way, you know what the devil will tell you? Oh, you've sinned too many times. God's done with you. No, he's not. He said he'd be faithful. That means every time you've confessed, he'll forgive. Now, that does not mean that you go, oh, God will forgive me, give me, so I'm going to go do it. No, no. You're fixing to get a bad whooping right there because your attitude's sick. All right? But look, look at Psalms 51. Boy, I love this. I'm going to tell you the truth. Brother Jeremy, I walked out in my hayfield and fell on my knees and prayed this to God. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me, O God, according, watch this. This is what you need to get. According to thy loving kindness, God wants to forgive us of our sins. God wants to restore fellowship. God wants you to have full joy. God doesn't want us to walk in darkness because he's not there in the dark. He, I mean, I'm in the sense of where God's light in him is no darkness at all. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Look what he says. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look at verse number three. Here's the confession. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He said, I can't get away from it. And you can't either, and I can't. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sinned, and my mother conceived me. And here's what David understood. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Look what David says now. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was that which was applied by the blood at the Passover. And he's talking about purge me with the blood of the sacrifice. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean and I shall be whiter than snow. I want to ask you a question tonight. 
I want you to pretend for a moment that David went to church here. David had been going to church here a long time. David had been a man of God and such a blessing. And all of a sudden you find out that David stole another man's wife and had him killed. What are you going to do with David? Let me tell you what you're going to do with David. I know exactly what you'd do. I know exactly. If he hid it and covered it and justified it and blamed everybody else for it, ain't going to be no fellowship between you and David, right? Now, you listen to this right now. But if David came up behind this pulpit and said, Reggie, I'd like to speak to the congregation and said, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against this church. I've sinned against people in this church. And I'm guilty. And I'm not blaming nobody in this world. And I know I don't deserve it. But I'd like to ask you all to forgive me if you could find it by the grace of God in your hearts to forgive me for my sin against God in this church. Would you forgive him? Wait a minute. What if it was your wife? What if it was your sister? What if it was your daughter? Did you know what God said? That David, God, how many believe God forgave David? You know he did. You know why he did? Because of what's written in that book right there, what he just read. I am telling you sometimes I don't think I have a clue what God's like. I'm honest with you. Let's go a little further. Verse number seven, he said, Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse number eight, and here it is. Think about 1 John 1. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Remember he said fullness of joy. We have fellowship with God. He wants us to have fullness of joy. But what did God say he'd done to David? He broke his bones. If you do a little research on that, you find out that's a shepherd's term. A sheep that kept wandering and kept wandering and kept wandering away, the shepherd would break his bones and keep him right next to him where he couldn't go anywhere so he'd learn not to wander off. David said, my bones have been broken by the way they had. When you find out, first of all, that your, one of your sons raped your, raped your daughter, you have a baby that died. When you have a son who killed his brother, and then you have a son who wants to run you off the throne, that'll make you regret you ever did what you did. But I want you to remember this. David suffered that because he would not confess his sin. God literally had to send a prophet to him to bring him to repentance. And I believe with all my heart that if David would have just said, you know what, I've sinned. Listen, oh, this is so deep. It's so real. It's just so, verse number nine, hide thy face from my sins, blot out all mine iniquities. And then he said in verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, 
and I'm going to let you read the rest of it. Then everything will change, but not till you confess your sin. So tonight, here's what I want to tell you. You listen to me. A lot of preachers and a lot of churches want to see a big movement come up here at the altar, and they want to see snotting and crying. That's okay. But you know what I'd like to see? I don't need to even see it. I'd like to think that you, when you sin, will just get somewhere alone with God and say, God, I am not justifying this. I am not blaming anybody. I'm not rationalizing it. And I'm not hiding it because I know you see. And God, I sinned. I did thus and thus. And Lord, you promised that you'd be faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, I'm going to take you at your word. And I tell you something, folks, listen. This issue is causing the loss of joy in Christians' lives. Just crazy. And I want you to have the fullness of joy. I want you to have fellowship with you, Lord. And it's not that complicated. Aren't you glad it's not deep theology? How many here thinks you could possibly confess your sin to God? Anybody think you might be able to do that? I think we can do that. You know what it takes? A contrite heart, an humble heart, and an honest heart. It's all God wants. Behold, there's us truth in the parts. First John, he said, don't, t- don't say you don't sin as a Christian. You're lying to yourself. I've got a remedy for it. I've got a, re- I've got a way to take care of it. And if you don't do that, then here, if you don't, watch this. Just remember this. If you don't confess, you're going to get chastised. David didn't confess. David got chastised. What happened? So anyway, aren't you glad that God made provision? Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw this at you. We'll preach about this next week. These things, this is chapter 2. These things I write unto you that you sin not. So I ain't writing this so you always go sin and get confessed. But he said, if any man sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the perpetuation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. We're going to talk about that a little bit, about our advocate and the perpetuation next week. All right? What he's doing now for you in heaven before the throne of God. Oh, man, it's good. Now, listen, it's 817, not too awful bad. We've had a good special. I've got a couple that's going to come and give you just a short testimony tonight. Mary, would you and Steve be still be willing to come? They're-